You're listening to 89.5 FM KOPN Columbia, Mid-Missouri's source for in-depth news, diverse talk and music of the world. It's not just radio, it's community radio on the web at kopn.org. Welcome to Speaking of the Arts on KOPN, an hour of news, views and interviews on the arts in mid-Missouri. I'm Diana Moxon. On today's show, we start out by chatting to Paula Van Landingham, who many actors in Colombia have likely worked with whenever they're perfecting their regional or international dialects for a play. And later in the show, we welcome back the incredibly talented singer-songwriter Sifa Bihomora for one last chat before she heads off to the Berkeley School of Music. But first, welcome to the studio, Paula Van Landingham. Good morning. Now, um, I'm so excited to have you here in the show. I'm on the excited show today. to be here. I, like I say, it's, all, it's not that common to find another linguist fan. So uh, our tribe, I think, is more numerous than I know. But I think it is. I think it is. I, um, I am definitely a linguistic nerd, having studied applied linguistics 30 years ago and then forgotten all about it. I'm glad to know that somebody is making money out of a linguistics degree. I am, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, Paula, you're a dialect coach for actors. Tell us what that entails. So, um, anytime an actor uh, has to portray a role that is not their natural accent, be it a British actor, an American actor, someone from a regional state, uh, they have to alter their speech pattern in order to sound like the character they're playing. In the old, old days, sort of pre-Meryl Streep, lots of people in the business thought that actors naturally could do this. And, and really, a lot of those that could were just naturally gifted that way, and there wasn't a, f a very formal training program. Uh, theater and, and acting programs in the country would have sort of a diction class, or sometimes they would teach the basics of, say, you know, uh, received pronunciation London or that you know maybe an American you just so slipped into it then didn't I did you? absolutely <laughs> I'm, I'm actually the entire time you're talking I'm pegging I'll say east of Kensington not quite so far <laughs> to the east end okay so yeah and so I uh, I uh, know that actors need to alter their pattern which is terrifying and it's usually in the old days it was presented very Henry Higgins here's the international phonetic alphabet and here is how you must categorize every sound you make and it's overwhelming for most actors whose skills are in an entirely different part of the brain. So for a couple of decades those that were naturally gifted uh, like Merrill and others uh, grabbed all the roles because they could walk up and do it. That's when I started as a young kid, the first play I was cast in was because I could walk up and do a British accent so I was cast immediately. And so I thought wow this is this is a superpower. Uh, I I got cast over the seniors. Wow! And then I realized I could mimic anything. So if it was Irish, I could get Irish. It was anything. And and so I thought, well, suckers, I'm going to be on stage all the time. So I did. I did 16 plays in high school, and then thought, well, I I think I'm going to major in this in college. And I came to Mizzou, and same thing happened. I could walk up and grab a role from people older than me, people who could sing better than me, because I could do these accents. And I was like, <laughs> okay, I have my secret superpower. Um, and I really didn't understand that it was a science, that there was a scientific aspect to it until many years later. But I, foreign language was easy for me, linguistics was easy for me. Now I can't give you proper change from a quarter, can't do sports. You know, there's all kinds of deficits that I have, but I by now speak five languages and 50 accents. So for me, it, this is my specialized area of the brain, and it's my uh, my favorite word is wheelhouse from sports. So it's uh, which was borrowed from 
nautical uh, reference. It's my special domain, and I'm I'm extraordinary in this one area. Though you know, I may forget five seconds ago where I put my keys. So um, that's how I sort of got into it myself. And since there were no formal programs for really merging linguistics with acting in a really deep way, that's where the need came out. Where my particular style teaching like an anthropologist, but an actor who'd worked for 30 years, uh, integrated these in a way that people could grasp it so quickly and get confidence that I'm riding the bike, I can do it. Um, not the academic, here's the international phonetic alphabet, here's its math. No, it's music. And so that's how I teach and that's how my great numbers of actors that I work with keep coming back because it feels painless and then they feel that this is something that they're good at. Um, and, you know, I mentioned uh, before we came on the air that the rise of technology made this possible. Uh, when I was a kid watching the Jetsons and seeing people, you know, tele telecommunicate, I thought that was a fantasy, and now it's what I do every day. Um, so after the rise of the uh, iPhone and um, internet speeds, now I can Skype anywhere in the world, and I do. So uh, I most often Skype to and from Los Angeles, often to New York, sometimes to London and Berlin, Tokyo. Um, so it's, and I have clocks in my studio that tell me what the time zone is, because I always try to say to the actor in their native time zone. Um, but this allows me to have a really great quality of life in the Midwest. No massive traffic, no massive smog, decent housing rates, but I can hop in and hop out of cities all around the world using what I know. And it's, it's sort of a fantastic merge. And you say you speak five languages. What five languages do you speak? Yeah. So I do count English, but uh, Spanish, German, French, Japanese, and, and actually I sometimes switch what the fifth one is because it's probably 50% Japanese. I speak Russian. Oh, I forgot to say Bosnian. That one's pretty... Uh, because we had so many refugees that came here about uh, 17 years ago, right after the Bosnian War, and they had first fled to... Uh, the German border and had learned German as a second language. So when they came here, they spoke Bosnian and German, and they had asked for volunteers in the community, does anybody speak German? Yes, I do. So I was a volunteer with the refugee services here for two years before my kids were born. Um, and because of that constant contact, I, of course, absorbed their language because I would always ask, how do you say this in your language? How do you say that in your language? So it's, um, Missouri has, I, I think, over 60,000 Bosnians. We have more Bosnians here than we do anywhere else in the world outside of Bosnia. So it's the third most spoken language in our state. Um, wow. And so, um, so that's how that one got added on. And people often say, like, oh, my God, five, like, I, I couldn't keep one straight. But they were learned in different decades. So, you know, German in school, Spanish in graduate school, Bosnian in my volunteer work, Russian and French sort of self-taught, um, and then because a lot of those languages belong to a language family. So French and Spanish are in the same family. Russian and Bosnian are in the same family. So I can sort of double dip in some cases. And when you say you speak them, I mean, do you mean you can get by and order a beer or you could go on TV and oh, yeah. have a full conversation? Yeah, yeah. so uh, yesterday, this was, this was interesting. So yesterday I had to coach Parisian French, Hungarian, and Liverpool, um, a few hours apart, thank God. <laughs> uh, but the actress I was working with for learning the Hungarian accent was uh, five years fluent in German. So I knew that there was a phonetic phrase in Hungarian I had to teach her, which was 
uh, humorous and quite crude. Uh, <laughs> but I knew a set of German words that she would recognize and be able to parody that and speak the Hungarian with this German underneath it. And then she got it. She understood how to speak this Hungarian phrase using German words that we pretended would fit in there. Um, so it was like, Ivartalanitot. And it's a very uh, crude, uh, like Elena Bobbitt when you're mad at a man and you're threatening him. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but she was able to substitute like warten in German for wait and tot, dead, like I'm going to wait till you're dead, buddy. You know? <laughs> so she got it planted in the head. And I've done that technique with other actors who've had to learn a language they don't speak. I, I was a coach for uh, Wolfenstein, which is a, a massive video game franchise, and at the time it was created, it was a fantasy world in which Nazis took over the United States. Ha ha ha, not so fantasy now. But <laughs> the one of the actresses had to play a Polish Jew who spoke a Hebrew blessing in the game. Actress never spoke Hebrew in her life. So we were teaching it with sort of what I call fake translation. I would slip in words that she could remember that would sort of seem like the meaning of what she was having to say. So, and she could mimic it, and then with some visuals to kind of help the memory, we would do osmosis and get it in the brain, and she performed it perfectly. Um, so there's a lot of side avenues um, to getting into the brain to be able to reproduce meaning and sound beyond the way we're normally taught in school, which is open the book, turn to page 20, and read, and now you speak this language. So that's not natural language and luckily in almost all the cases that I learned language they were the more natural kind. Spanish was in the field in Mexico living in uh, among Spanish speakers only. Bosnian same thing in the home not on a chalkboard um, so that is the best way and the most uh, it sticks the most because when you've had a life experience uh, German I got to go in high school for a summer to Germany and live with a family so everything I still speak now it's because I lived it in person and not just read it in a book and that served me very very well <laughs> so I thought from looking at your website that you were just teaching accents in English but are you teaching Bosnian actors how to use a different uh, Bosnian accent you know accent this is or? a really great example I, in fact I'll be doing it today when I leave here I have an actress who's portraying she's an American actress of Hispanic descent portraying a police officer in Mexico. So among Spanish dialects, there are many. So there are certain phonetic sounds that you layer in when you want to sound as if you are speaking Spanish from Mexico versus Dominican Republic versus Madrid. So I do teach that. And there are, of course, accents in German too. So usually those are the highest requested ones is Spanish, but from a certain region, Spanish from Miami, Spanish from Madrid, Spanish from Mexico City, versus somewhere else in the world and so I do teach that and luckily this is I think I might be the only dialect coach in the country that is multilingual as well who works in this industry so there are lots of polyglots in academia or in let's say UN translation but they're not working with actors per se so I have an acting background I have a linguistics background and the multilingual so when they actually have these lines in another language and they're like I'm Spanish but I don't even really I don't speak Spanish or I have the look that's a very common one too where somebody is an American but they have an ethnic look and they're expected to portray let's say someone from Mumbai and they're like I'm from New York I you know I don't know how to do that so that's the funniest part of my job is that me 
white girl from St. Louis and teaching people all over the country who are Chinese American, Mexican American, Indian American, how to sound like the ethnic accents that come from those countries or even in an historical context. I had to teach um, a New York accent in 1919 to an actress from Sweden. So, you know, it, I have all these loops that I go through to get them to, let's say, standard American first off, and then to go back in time sometimes, like, I'll be there at three o'clock, I'll be happy to see you, you know? <laughs> Those features that are gone now from modern English. I was going to ask you about that, because one of the things, one of the uh, films that you worked on was Carry Me Home about Harriet Tubman, and in yeah. that movie, you were teaching historical Maryland and Virginia accents. Now, yeah. how do you know what they sound like? There are no recordings from that time. Well, sometimes, written documents are the big clue. So when people make misspellings in letters and documents, that's your hint as to what the phonetic sound was. So historical linguists use that all the time. So a lot of times, um, like for example, a Maryland accent or a Baltimore accent, um, there's a, a sort of a running joke that they'll say, uh, curry and dug. So carry is curry. And actually, uh, uh, Chris Matthews, it has a little bit of this. If you, he'll say America instead of America, and that's a little bit of that East Baltimore sort of accent. So knowing on sort of some descriptions of historical accents and what the phonetics are, and I can read them in the International Phonetic Alphabet, people who have transcribed them or people who collected stories of the time and tried to, you know, in the sort of tradition of Br'er Rabbit, where they would try to f create exact documentation of what it sounded like. And then when you read it back, you're like, oh, I see what that sounds like because of the letters that they dropped or what they misspelled. And then um, the, for the white actors that were portraying Southerners, either plantation owners or those that were helping with the um, Underground Railroad, the, the Southern accent that loses the R kind of Jeff Sessions where the, you know, my mother and my father, my sister and my brother are coming over for tea. That one is dying out. It's, um, it was very popular in House of Cards and uh, Kevin Spacey was sort of uh, criticized a little bit for people in that area saying, we don't talk like that anymore. And that's true, it's dying out. In the last 50 years, people were encouraged to lose that because it sounded hick or hillbilly. So even someone like Lindsey Graham, when he speaks publicly, will try to make those R's because it's been taught that that's the proper way to speak. So if you go back in time, that's when you're going to start losing those R's because that was the entire British line. So Boston, New York, and the South, they all lose their R's. So Bernie Sanders down to Jeff Sessions, they all lose their R because that's the leftover from the British Empire. So then when they started going into the interior, we get the Irish from the Irish who settled here. So that's how you get Chicago and you get St. Louis and Kansas City with their strong Irish. Is that how you get wash? It is how you get wash. <laughs> I wash I wash these clothes until they are threads. <laughs> I think I had seen a video where you were talking about the southern accent and you said a lot of actors get it wrong because they think that there is one yeah. southern accent but even within Mississippi depending on where you are in Mississippi there'll exactly. be an R or there'll be no When R. I work with an actor and they say I'm asked to have a southern accent and I say okay we want to know do they mention a city? Do they mention anything, a, a real geography? Sometimes they're fictitious. Somewhere in the South, I'm like, okay. Then I'm looking for other clues of culture. Do they mention military? Do they mention ranch? Do they mention the coast? I'm looking for a clue because if I hear something about, well, I was out on my boat. Okay, well then I know you're on the Gulf Coast. We're gonna lose some Rs there. If you're up 
a little higher, then you're gonna have your oars pretty strong. So Mississippi's sort of cut in half. Down on the coast, you're gonna get the New Orleans loss of that oar. And then a little bit further up, you're gonna get the pretty strong oar that's gonna sound the same to us as Texas and Oklahoma and even Southern Missouri. So, um, so you really are slicing it finely. If someone very. says North Dakota, you're saying Fargo or Bismarck. Exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so I try to get as specific, and the, and this is the other side of the coin. A lot of actors are expected to have the accent perfect in order to audition to get the role. Many years ago, it used to be they chose the best actor, and then they would bring a coach in on filming and say, "Now make them sound Polish." Okay, Sophie's choice. Okay. Now they've put the burden onto the actor and say, look, you got to walk in here sounding perfect Brooklyn. And they're like, oish. So they have to go hire the teachers on their own, just like you used to take dance and voice lessons and piano lessons. Now, if you really want to be a working actor, you have to do all that work in advance, and that's who works with me. So that puts a little bit more pressure to prepare in advance to say, look at my look. What am I taken for often? In my case, I'm often mistaken to be uh, German, Polish, Jewish, uh, anywhere from any besides America. <laughs> um, and so uh, Russia, you know, I know in advance which ones I would be probably cast in. So that's easy to do a little bit of prep work. So by the time I see the audition that's due tomorrow at 10 o'clock, I don't have to panic or an actor would not have to panic and say, oh, I have to sound like I'm from Zimbabwe by tomorrow. You know, you know in advance a little bit what you might be expected to be cast as. And so that, that helps reduce the stress a little bit, kind of doing that prep work in advance. So are you turning away clients? Are you just so busy? Because all actors must need this skill. Sometimes, yeah. What's funny is that because there's so much misunderstanding about some people will advertise themselves as a vocal coach which or a dialogue coach, which could be acting, it could be singing, it could be diction. It's very confusing what people are advertising themselves and since you're the consumer that doesn't really know what you're buying you don't really know who to hire so a lot of it goes from word of mouth once people have gotten you know I, I worked with a, a girl from England who who resembles Mariah Carey and had to uh, learn her accent so New York girl um, and was so fluent that the directors just went wow because you know and so for a person who's been trying to lose their British accent or lose their American accent it feels like such a triumph you know so they usually tell their friends and say I got a job because Paula trained me and then and then they go okay great call Paula so I usually don't have to turn anyone away sometimes if I'm overbooked or I'm unavailable I'll say listen send me your script I will record it for you in the accent uh, with a little guideline, okay, V's are F's, F's are V's, so when you're going to do this drum accent, and you, these will be the things you're listening for that I'm going to do. And then they kind of have this as a little, like, the bumpers at the bowling alley. You know, here's, here's my basics I'm trying to hit and imi imi imitate. So even if we can't do a live session, or they're on set and they can't, they're like, I don't know when my next break will be. I'm like, great, send me the lines, I'll record them. You go back and listen with your iPhone and try it that way. You can record yourself and send it back to me and I'll tell you what to fix. So usually I can get everybody. Wow. Now there must be some people who are, don't have the kind of ear that you have that aren't good mimics. Have you ever had to give up on somebody? I, well, I am a very merciful cheerleader. So when I'm working with somebody and I can tell that uh, they're not, they don't have the mimic skill. Um, I, I try never to say, no, that's wrong. I, I would say, okay, let's try that again and let's do this. 
okay, that's really getting closer. I always say words that are very, very positive so that they never feel like they got smacked. Um, but sometimes they need additional things. Sometimes if just sound isn't good enough, I notice a lot of musicians who are used to musical notation and side note, I'm musically illiterate. I was in musicals and everything, but I had to learn everything by ear. A lot of musicians want to re-spell words. Like if I say, all right, we're going to say Pula and they're like, okay, so P-O-L-A, Pula, right, good. Then they want to rewrite it phonetically so that they can trust what they're looking at. That helps sometimes. Sometimes people do better when they have visual pictures. So if I say, for example, we're going to do um, the short you in England pumpkin, love money, bring your cheeks up. And so I'll give them like a deck of cards that has all these pictures. And I'll say, put your fingers on your cheeks. And if they go up, you're doing it right. If you're saying pumpkin. 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 I'd love some pumpkin spice right now. So phonetically and physically, I teach them. Sometimes I give them visual and, and other mnemonic devices. And that helps their anxiety go away and get out of their head. And actually, it helps uh, shut down uh, the visual cortex from the uh, language center because you're always trying some people are trying to see the words spelled out as they're doing it English is the worst in the world for the letters that we use so uh, I try to get them away from that as much as possible because it will only be a cruel trick you know my favorite example is um, like okay uh, the er sound in bird it's one of the rarest in all of the languages in the world so that's why everybody who speaks English has some substitute for it even Britain doesn't do bird they say bird you know so the r is gone but let's say Kenya they substitute sort of an eh sound bed that is a beautiful bed uh, if they you know were to try to go oh all right, I understand. Anything spelled I-R, first in line is this bed. Great, I've got it. Now purse. Oh, sorry, that's U-R. Oh, shoot. Okay, world, W-O-R. Ha, 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 ha. You know, we spell it with every combination of letters that we have because we really should have invented another alphabet letter for that sound. But we're rare. Nobody else in the world. The only other language that I think uses it is Mandarin Chinese. So the word for teacher, la has the r sound and American English, but everybody else has left it in the dust. And so that one's especially one I always have to know in the accent, like, okay, where are we going? We're going to Liverpool. They're going to say bird. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but these things are easy in my mind because I've repeated them so often. There's double dipping a lot between different accents that solve the problem the same way. Um, the, completely unknown to actors. And so I usually try to distill it down to the pieces that they need in order to go back to what they wanted to do, which was act. Um, and so that's that's the magic of what I try to do. Do you find whenever you speak to somebody that you mimic their accent? Not only do I do it, I found out that humans have a, a natural tendency for it to the point that I started to think back anthropologically and that um, there were studies that came out that even primates are aware of sound differences in how other primates are communicating. So when there was a group of um, I think chimpanzees or apes that were, I think it was a, a, a zoo in Scotland. They had certain grunts and sounds that they would make when it was food time. Hey, they're bringing the apples. Wow, okay, it's apples time. They were moved to a different zoo for some temporary purpose. They noticed that the primates in that facility had some different sound for the food time. They adopted it. And they're like, hey guys, it's uhuha time, you know, and they, they copied it. So there was some evidence that even earlier primates would listen, capture, and amend what they were saying. But the other thing that I think is the phenomenon I notice all the time is that people say, 
what accents they find sexy. So if you ask an American, they'll say Australian, they'll say British, they'll say something very, very far away. And I say, which accent disgusts you the most? Oh, these hicks that live right behind me. I hate these guys, they sound so gross. I would never date one of them. It's because in my mind, you can sense, if you hear a very foreign accent, you know you're probably not cousins. That's a thousand miles away. If you were to mate with that person, the babies would be healthy. <laughs> so I think it's innate that you find foreign accents very sexy because that's better for the DNA and for evolution. So I think we can all do it. I think it's been survival for a long time. I wanted to ask you, obviously, of my personal interest for British accents. Actually, I was going to ask you at the beginning of the show, I'm going to give you the show to try and work out where I'm from because you don't know me. And I wanted if there were any verbal cues that I was giving. I have a very mixed up accent, so I don't expect you to I know it. you're not from the north, right. because you would have done up and uncle, and you don't <laughs> do that. So I know you're from south, you're southern England. You definitely have been in London for a while. Um, not necessarily the west, though. So I'd say somewhere in the centre or centre-east of London, or maybe um, Hertfordshire, somewhere around there. How close am I? Far. Really? Yeah. <gasps> I've been stumped. I have stumped you. But that's because I have lived in so many countries and I have, as a linguist myself, I have purposefully oh. altered my dialect over the years. I'm working with a fellow spy. <laughs> so where is the origin? I am from Preston, Lancashire. So Ooh. I grew up saying i saw a giraffe go up the path for a bath <gasps> on a sunday afternoon that's my favorite i love like sheffield and yorkshire and actually i found out the pilgrims are from there so that's why we say after and laughter instead of after and laughter because yorkshire and sort of northeast had that accent when they left and then 400 years later we still have it they still have it and everybody else in england says no just half a glass and we say half a glass you know what is funny is i where you park your car at home, yes. I call it a garage. Yeah. And the Americans say garage, yes. like it's French. Well, and in this area, I would expect that because we had so much French settlement here that I would think we say things like, in especially Missouri, where Germans and French are both, we have a problem with, do we say route or route? Which route will you take? I'll take a different route B. Oh, why? And so it usually depends on which element. Was it the French influence or the German one? Which, which one do you say? So in Missouri, we have lots of different towns of different origins, and so that's why we're so confused. <laughs> well, and, and it's, I was going to say in, in British, as you referenced earlier, the standard British accent we called receive pronunciation, yeah. RP, it's a vague London accent. Right. When you're teaching a vague American accent, a RP equivalent, mm -hmm. is it a Midwest accent yes. that you teach? Yes. The accent that people think is pure, which there is no pure accent. Everything has a tell. Everything has a geography. But the the stretch that is basically from just north of Columbia, say about Moberly, into sort of central northern Indiana, it's a very small patch. Um, my husband says between Highway 70 and Highway 80. And, you know, between like eastern Nebraska and maybe Illinois, that tiny, tiny patch has fewer regional markers. It's not quite the northern O of Minnesota. It's not the southern I, I like ice cream. You don't lose any O's like out in the east. So it's absent all of those obvious markers, which leaves it as the default. So even though people say Midwestern, it's really a very tiny stretch uh, that's considered standard American. Um, so usually I start with that. So I'll say a Kansas City or a St. Louis 
Chicago's even a little bit too far north, although that's taken as an American good standard, but they say, um, the, the one word I'm always listening for is the word on, whether it rhymes with yawn, Don, Donald Trump, or uh, own, like it belongs to me. So up north in Chicago, I got to put my coat on. Um, in St. Louis and in the Midwest, we say on, it rhymes with yawn. Um, that is really getting on my nerves. In Memphis and further south, it becomes own. You got to put your own coat on. And so knowing how to modulate that one word um, is a really important one as, to, as how standard it is. If it's somebody who's a little further north and they're saying on, I shave that out and say, okay, do on, and that'll bring you into the Midwest. We're coaching cabaret here at CEC, and an actor has to be from Pennsylvania. And so he said, you know, how different is that? I said, I tell you what, if you have the word on, switch it to on, and everybody in this audience will go, oh, he's from somewhere else. And it does. It it. it tings the ear just enough that you go okay that's that's not from home I have sat through quite a number of bad British accents on stage so I'm very glad that you're here Paula. <laughs> you know the, the hardest one is that thing that I said about the laugh and uh, after Americans I tell them look if, if you're not sure default to your own it's better to do that than to say please hold my hand young man I'm like then you're Jamaican <laughs> you've gone full Scottish and then that's no good so I said if you're not sure default to your own because that won't ring the ear as badly as doing it the wrong way but only an English person in the audience would catch if you said uh, please don't laugh at me I'm trying as as much as I can they wouldn't catch they would catch it nobody else would but I always say here's the one you've got to learn can in the positive, can't in the negative. It's the only word that spans both of them. So if you say, oh, yes, I can, but no, no, I can't. So I teach them that one to try to get that, that one solid. Paula, I think we should have a show on KOPN <laughs> that is just you talking about language and teaching <laughs> dialect. It's brilliant so idea, brilliant. Let's do okay, it. I want to work on that. <laughs> Thank you so much, Paula Van Landingham. If you need a dialect coach, Paula is the person to contact. You can find her at accentcolors.net. Thank you so much for being here, Paula. It was lovely. What fun. You're listening to Speaking of the Arts at 89.5 FM, KOPN Columbia. And after the break, we'll be back with the one and only singer-songwriter, Siva Bihomora. segment of the show i am so pleased to once again have in the studio the amazing sifa bihamora hi hello sifa welcome back so since i last saw you here in the show at, on the show at least you've been busy you've uh, just got back from an eight city tour around the midwest with yeah. gigs in kansas city omaha iowa city minneapolis madison milwaukee and chicago and st louis how did it all go it was amazing realized they were really back-to-back -back, so I was really tired but it was like one of the best experiences that I've experienced. What kind of venues were you playing? Were you playing in bars or in concert venues? Like all sorts of things so we played some bars some like like Rose Music Hall kind of concert venues and some uh, DIY spaces so it was really interesting to see like all kind of different spaces and the different people that you would see in there it was really it was like crazy and like eye-opening all at the same time it was like so wonderful and fun to meet all these really creative and nice people were they was it a mixed age group audience generally that you played to um i yeah i would say around 20s 
20s would be most of the people that came out to our shows. 20s, 30s, and maybe like early, late teens will come out to our shows, but we want everybody. <laughs> they, sh they should come out and listen to your shows for sure. What, what, when, when you set out on the tour, what were your hopes or goals for the tour and, and did you achieve them? What did you learn from the tour? Honestly, I just wanted to like learn. I just was like, this is an experience. I have the time, I have the, the effort, I can do it. And I feel like it's never too early to start. So I was like, this is something I can only grow and get better at. And it exceeded my expectations. I was blown away with the amount of information that I've learned and the amount of people that like were really positively like recepted to our music and the kindness that we met in a lot of people. Like it really made me really happy to see a lot of nice people. A lot of the other artists were like really opening and like really nice to us. And I was like, I made a lot of connections, which is my favorite thing to do. Were you surprised by any of the audience's reactions to your performance? Were they more enthusiastic than you expected? Some cities were, you know, but I think I've learned that different cities have different like types of people. You know, I didn't really know I like I'm from Columbia, Missouri, and I've been here my whole life, so I didn't know like how people would react in different cities. So I can see like what because we play a lot of different sounds in our music, so I can see like what kind of sound they would reflect more to. So I would you know give them more of this or or that depending on what they want. And it was really cool to kind of like play with your audience to what they want, like seeing what they want and being able to like change to what they want so you can alter your set list on the fly on the on the fly to what we know <laughs> how many people in the band with you there's five of us including me you're the only singer yeah no we ha i'm the only i'm the singer and the guitar player he sings too but he sings like backup and some of the band members are also in crooked fix and is that he's right? the lead vocalist in crooked fix is that hallam yes okay uh, he's <laughs> amazing amazing Shout voice out. Shout out, great voice. He had an awesome show last night. Okay, with Crooked Fix. Yeah. And you've also played with Loose Loose, is that right? I've not played with Loose Loose, oh. but we played in the same bill as them, and they're amazing as well. And I'm super happy to have a lot of like jazz fusion stuff in Colombia. It's so cool to hear like these people play stuff, and it's just, you just feel the music in your body, and you're like, this is so great. You have such a distinctively beautiful voice. Thank you so much. And an incredibly captivating presence. And whenever I see you, I perceive within you kind of an undefinable quality of star power. Oh, thank do, you so much. That's do nice. other people tell you that? And how do you think of yourself? How do I think of myself? Honestly, I just feel like I need to be myself because I'm not my most happiest if I'm not being as genuine and real with myself. So I just constantly have to be 100. And I don't, I just love to see people happy. And I, I really just love to spread happiness and kindness and positivity. And just seeing that people picking up on it makes me beyond joyed. And I feel like life goals, like I'm hitting it and I'm like speechless because if anything I wanted in life, it'd be just to see people happy. I don't think you can be unhappy in your presence. I don't Sifa. think I can <laughs> I mean, anybody can be I unhappy. Try, I try not to. Try not. <laughs> <laughs> Thinking back over the years of coaching that you've had and the people who were mentors to you, what are some of the pieces of advice that you feel have propelled you forward the most? 
I think a lot of the people that I've worked with um, have helped me with experiences. So it's more of like, I think one thing that I've learned is that to do stuff rather than not to. So just, you can like, I don't think you can ever do too much, but you can only do too less. So I just try to do as much as I can and learn from them. And whatever I learn, like that learning experience is life changing. It's something that can't be put into words which is what I've learned is to do it and then learn rather than sit and like talk about it like the great Aretha Franklin like the great Aretha Franklin you just have an innate knowledge so I'm just wondering how when you're sitting with a mentor or you're working with someone like Lloyd Warden who yes I know you've absolutely with, how much how much can they teach you when so much of it is part of who you are and part of your soul what have you what have you learned is it technique absolutely so my parents are from rwanda so my music background was very limited to an extent because what i was getting was from where their their music and what they've listened to so i didn't really get to i didn't really get raised with a lot of like aretha franklin and all that stuff until i got older and i went and i sought out these amazing blues jazz singers artists and and that's what he did he really gave me i i felt these things but i didn't know where they came from and he helped me find where they came from and how they related. And it made sense why I relate to these things. So it was amazing to have somebody give me the insight that I never had because of where it came from and my background. But Rwanda has a great musical tradition Amazing. Too. So how much of that is incorporated in your style of music? A lot. <laughs> a lot. I mean, the, just how music music for them isn't like music is life you know my mom taught me at a young age like music is a part of my soul it's it's spiritual like on all levels so for me seeing my family and seeing how much music can transform your life and seeing how powerful music was I knew I knew like whoa this is something big and that's because of their culture and you you were born in Kigali in Rwanda. I was born in Colombia. You were born in Colombia. Oh, oh I just say on your Facebook page that you were born in. You know, Kigali. in my head, I was born there. You know, my parents came in '96. I was born in '98. But who knows? In my head, I was. I'm. I'm there. <laughs> the concept of you was perceived yes, in Rwanda. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so that was. That was only a couple of years after the the terrible genocide. And I wondered if that part of your family's history appears in your music. If you feel it uh, you, that you want to refer to that in your music. Absolutely. I think that it reflects in my life. I think the way that I value life and everything is because of the genocide and because of my my parent my parents upbringing my parents like these they had they came here with nothing and had to build a life with six kids so it's like what you know and five boys just like even worse <laughs> so it's <laughs> but i mean like just seeing how much like they had to go through just to give me just to even let me have my dreams told me i can do anything i want and i can like nothing can hold me back and I feel like that's what I want people to know with my music, you know. And I think what I want to people to know is that a lot of these bad things that are happening could truly not happen if we just were loving each other and being kind and truly treating one another how we want to be treated. And 
there wouldn't have to be these genocides and constantly recurring because it's terrible like my grandma died in the genocide my dad had 13 siblings and now he only has six so it's like you know knowing that my life is has a purpose and that I'm here for a reason is something that I know because it could have easily been my parents who were dead so I'm here in Columbia Missouri out of all places and I'm able to do what I want I have a free education I get to you know I have water I have a toilet like all these great things that I forget I have shoes that are like necessity to life as it is and just that's what I want people you know to think about to have that perspective that truly like being in America we're like blessed like we're the one percent of the world like mind-blowing like that that's a good thing to remember i think we forget how lucky we are to have shoes and flushing toilets exactly like you have a flushing toilet you don't have to go into like a hole or something that's pretty great that is let's take a musical break and listen to a new song of yours called the one but before we listen to it tell me a little bit about it what's it all about you know i feel like at this point i was just trying to uh figure out who i am and uh, a lot of it's just finding out that like the one and the only one will be truly me truly in the deep and depths of it all like you want something to be perfect you want something you want someone to see who you are but in the like truly through it all what i've learned from this song me taking away is that the one and only the only person that will be there is truly yourself and being able to accept it being able to move on or go anywhere with it you are wise beyond your years oh, Sifa. No, thank you Mike, let's listen to the one by Sifa biomora
You've been listening to Sifa Bihamora with her new track called The One, which you can get on SoundCloud. If you Google Sifa Bihamora, yes. it'll be on her website, a link to that. Sifa, you are about to set off on a new journey. You yes. leave in, what, a few days? A couple of weeks? A week, the 25th, so next Saturday. Next Saturday for the um, Berkeley. Was it called, is it pronounced Berkeley? Berkeley, you're right. You never know in this country. <laughs> Berkeley College of Music, which is in Boston. Yes. You already have, say, an incredible innate understanding of music. What are you hoping to focus on during your college years? I'm just excited to meet a whole bunch of amazing people. I mean, who love music and who want to do music just as much as I want to. And just to be mentored and like getting perspectives from, from so much different people. Because the school is so big, there's going to be people from all over the world. And I'm just excited to be able to, you know, learn and grow with these people and and be like blown to where their knowledge is and be better you know be better i'm just excited to grow i'm like super excited for the growth berkeley i mean it sounds like an amazing place for a young musicians i was looking on their alumni list and that includes melissa etheridge steve vai aldi miola imagine dragons at least three of them diana crawl branford masalis um 120 berkeley alumni have won 283 grammy awards 33 have won 89 latin grammy awards five have won oscars 19 have won Emmys, including Trey Parker from South Park, and five have won Tony Awards. Did you look at any other schools, or was Berkeley always the place you wanted to be? I looked at a lot of schools. I looked at a lot of schools, but I was on their website, and I was looking at their videos, and I just felt really compelled, and I could just feel, like, the spirit of what they were putting off, and I was like... That's for me. I got to go. I got to go there. That's 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 the school for me. And I knew once I saw it, I was like, yep. I looked at other schools. I, I even visited other schools, and they were amazing schools. But nothing just felt more right than than that school for me. I know when you were here in, I think it was the beginning of May, and at that point, we, we mentioned it in passing, but you were a bit iffy. I don't know if it's going to happen or not. So what pushed you over the edge? What's happened since I last saw you that made that a definite decision? Um, I think just I realized, I mean, that's when I first got accepted. That was when I got accepted. So I was just figuring out money and all the other crazy things you have to figure out with school. But then I just realized, I mean, I only have one life and I'd rather never live with regrets. So I'd rather do something and learn from it than not do it at all. So I was like, Psh, do it. Like, what can I lose? I don't think there's much. I don't think you can lose anything. I don't think but. money, but money, I, I think that's it's an object, you know? I mean, it's it's big, but I mean, I'd rather be fulfilled in my soul. And I believe in myself enough that I know no matter what, I'll be okay. So, It's rare to have that sense of self and, and belief in yourself at, at, at 20 years of age. I'm very yeah. envious <laughs> of you. And again, do you put that down to your parents and yeah. their, their life experiences and what's that, that that's taught you? Their life experience was difficult, terrible. So to me, I just like, I look at my problems and I'm like, these are so minor like, what do I have to worry about? And I, I'm blessed every day just being able to wake up. I mean, I worked at Woodhaven. I work at Wood. I, 
today was my last day. Oh. So it's really sad. Um, Woodhaven, it's uh, in-home care for people with disabilities. And it was an amazing, amazing facility, amazing place, amazing place to help these people. I mean, the people that I worked for, they were the nicest people I've ever met. And so humble and so real. I, to me, it's just like, if they're doing this and they're their happiest, why am I not happy? You know, what is holding me back? You know, so it just really perspective. Perspective keeps me grounded, keeps me humble. So you, your parents must be very proud of you and your brothers, your five brothers, did five you say? Five brothers, five brothers. Are they, are they worried about their little sister <laughs> disappearing from their protective zone? Some of them already left. I have two brothers in Michigan and then two brothers here and one brother in uh, St. Louis. But, I mean, everybody's excited for me. I, I've always, I'm a person that knows what I want. So I've been saying I've wanted this for a little while. So they know. <laughs> so they're like, they know. And and I know what I want and I'm going to get it done. So they're not really worried for me. They're just going to miss me. And I'm I'm going to miss my family. Oh, I'm going to miss you. <laughs> I think Columbia <laughs> is going to miss you. Let's listen to one more track. I think we just have time. This is from your EP entitled Please Like My Music. It's a track called Moonchild. Yes. Give us a quick rundown on what this song it's is about. It's just a fun song. You know, I just feel like every time I hear it, I just like bounce. I want to bounce. And it's like spacey. And you're just at home. It's like a home. Like you feel at home. Let's listen to Moonchild by Sifa Bihamore.
that was Sifa Bihamora with Moonchild from her Please Like My Music EP. Sifa, we have to uh, um, round this up. I wish we could have longer to chat, but are there any other chances to see you perform before you leave for Berkeley? There is not. I wish. <laughs> I wish. But you can always check out my music on SoundCloud. Um, and there's an open mic tonight at Flatboard. I will be there. There's going to be a lot of amazing singers who take from Lord Warnkins and some other amazing singers. You should come out and check them out. It's going to be a really amazing night. Fretboard open mic tonight from yes. 6 till 9, something like I that? I think so. It's, it's going to be amazing. I'm excited. Sifa Bihamora, I wish you just so much love and luck you and too. good fortune as you go forward, all of which is just coming to you in boatloads, I'm sure, because you manifest such beauty and inspiration and passion for what you do. I'm so proud of you. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to Speaking of the Arts at 89.5 FM, KOPN Columbia, and I've been talking with local singer-songwriter Sifa Bihamora, who leaves for the Berkeley College of Music in about 10 days. Thank you, Sifa, for being on the show. Come back when you're on holiday here. Okay, so we're going to finish off this week's show, as usual, with a roundup of the events that are coming up over the next few days in and around Columbia. This is the second and final weekend for Talking Horse Theatre's production of the David Lindsay Abair comedy, Ripcord. Tonight's show starts at 7.30 and you can also catch it tomorrow and Sunday at 2. Tickets are $15. Shrek the Musical is in its second weekend at Capital City Productions in Jeff City. The dinner buffet doors open at 6.30 and the show starts at 7.30. Tickets are $38. However, you'll be looking for returns as the show was sold out when I last checked. At Rose Music Hall tonight, you can catch the founder of Missouri hip-hop label Indie Ground Entertainment, Steady P, along with Columbia hip-hop artist Van Ghost at 9.30. Tickets for that show are $10. And at Cooper's Landing tonight, the K Brothers take the stage from 7 till 10. Tomorrow, Saturday, local mystery writer Jill Orr is this month's Meet the Author guest at the Boone History and Culture Center on Saturday morning. Jill will be talking about her book, The Bad Break, the latest in her Riley Ellison mysteries. Her talk's at 10.30 and the event is free and open to all. Stories about unicorns, kangaroo bosses and superheroes written by preschoolers from the Columbia Atelier School of Creative Learning will be performed by some of well-known Columbia actors at Talking Horse Theatre tomorrow from 2 till 3 p.m. Tickets are $5 for adults and 2 for children. Also downtown on Saturday afternoon, you can head to Rose Park at 3 p.m. for Fortune Fest, a carnival-style street party with headliner Black Joe Lewis. Tickets are $10. At the Lyceum Theatre in Arrowrock, it's opening day tomorrow for Souvenir, a reinterpretation of the life story of Florence Foster Jenkins, a real-life wealthy socialite who became famous for trying to be an opera star and failing badly. There were two shows on Saturday at 2 and 8 p.m. plus a 2 p.m. matinee on Sunday. The show continues next weekend and tickets are $39. Saturday night, you can catch Mojo Roots at the Rocheport General Store at 8 p.m. That's a free concert. Or you can hear Columbia musician John Galbraith and his trio at the Bridge in Jefferson City. Cover charge is 5 and the doors open at 7. Saturday night, you can also opt for the Kaleido Spoke family-friendly nighttime glow ride from Flat Branch to Twin Lakes and back again. The cost is $15 and you must register in advance by noon to Day, so hurry over to the Kaleido Spoke Facebook page if you want to sign up. 
On Sunday at Catfish Caters, you can hear Nebraska native Rachel Price live on the stage at 2. On Monday and Tuesday next week, uh, musical thespians, head to Talking Horse Theatre if you're interested in being part of the upcoming Sweeney Todd performance scheduled for this fall. Auditions start at 7, and you should come with a prepared song, preferably in the style of Sondheim. Tuesday morning, grab your sketch pad and pencils and head to the Museum of Art and Archaeology to join their sketching group. And also on Tuesday, Nashville artist Woody Pines is playing a benefit concert for Missouri River Communities Network. That's Tuesday evening at the Station House at Catfish Katie's. On Thursday at Rose Music Hall, Cat Daddy's Funky Fuzz Bunker Band play at 9pm for a $3 entry charge. been listening to Speaking of the Arts on 89.5 FM KOPN Columbia with me Diana Moxon and engineer Mike Hagan. We'll be back next week with more news, views and interviews about the arts in mid-Missouri. Stay arty Columbia. Mm-hmm.